Welcome to Practical Christian Living. If you don't have peace with the people in your life and things right with God, because holiness isn't about you being holy, it's about the righteousness of Christ that is given to you and then you being sanctified and set apart by Him. The holiness becomes practical in our lives, but first of all, it is positional with Christ. And so you make things right with people, the peace with all men and holiness with God, and then people see your life and see God in you. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. When everyone else is arguing and there's chaos all around you in what seems to be this season of divisiveness, that's the best time to shine the light of Christ so it can be seen and so God gets the glory. Hebrews helps us to lay aside every weight and not let anything hinder our race of faith. With more from Hebrews 12, 12 through 17, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. There's some Christians around us and your hands are flailing, they're falling down, your knees are wobbling, you feel like you can't go on anymore, and you need to strengthen those hands and those knees. Now here's the question. How do you do that? If you're in a race and you're running and your hands start to drop and your knees start to wobble, how do you strengthen them? Well, I have a couple of thoughts. First of all, you can do more than you think you can do. When you think I'm done and I can't go on anymore, usually you can go on a lot more. Usually it's the case with working out. When uh, I worked out for a lot of years, I, I do what's called supersetting. You guys remember this? It was a fad from the 80s. So years ago, I lifted more weight. As I've gotten older, I'm lifting less weight. Now that's not because I can't do what I did when I was younger, by the way. I can still curl the same amount. I can still bench the same amount. I used to bench when I was younger. I just don't want to. So I'm there working at the gym and I'm doing my supersetting and I'm doing bench. It's a, it's a machine that I'm doing, but I'm doing for chest. And my son comes in, my, my older boy, and he sees me and, hey, you want to work out? I said, yeah, I'd love to. What are you going to do? And he said, oh, I can do chest and, and tries with you. So I said, let's do it. So I finish doing my set and I get up off the machine and he sets down. He's going to do it now. And he leaves it where I had it. He goes, what is this? <laughs> and he adds weight to it and then rah, 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 he does his set. So then we go over and we do tries and I come back. And what's happened now is that my competitive juices have gotten flowing. <laughs> Gonna let my boy outlift me. Are you kidding me? I can lift as much as he can. Now the truth is Dave's a big boy and I can't, I can't bench as much as, as much as he can bench. But I wasn't gonna let him know that, all right? So I sat down, he went to go change it and I said, no, just leave it. And I sat down, I lifted what he lifted. And you know what the crazy thing is? It was easier for me to lift that then because I'd been challenged than it was when no one was there. When I first sat down with the initial weight, it was like, oh, ow, oh, ow, oh, ow, oh, ow, oh, ow. But once I was encouraged by his mocking, all of a sudden I could do a lot more than I thought. In other words, folks, if your hands are dropping down and your knees are wobbly and you're, you're, you're falling back and you're fading in this race and you feel like, I, I'm just going to quit. I just want to go to a movie. I just want to go to bed. I just want to watch, you know, whatever before I go to bed. I just want to get up and have my coffee and watch a morning show. I don't want to do the spiritual things anymore. Hey, talk to yourself. Pull yourself together. Give yourself a John Wayne talk. What are you wimping out for? Stay with it, pilgrim. Hang in there. Get your hands up, your knees stronger. I think that if you really will say to yourself, you know what? 
there is something very important on the line here. And I need to not fade spiritually. If your hands are falling down and your knees, strengthen them. You can do more than what you think. And the Bible even says God won't give you more than what you can handle. Get back in the race. I think there's another thought too. We can help one another. When you work out with somebody, you're able to do more weight. It just is what happens. In fact, if you're wanting to get big, find someone who's bigger than you. Find somebody who's already done it. If you want to work out and get big, if you want to be a bodybuilder, don't go find some skinny person to go work out with you, okay? Because you're probably not going to get there. But find somebody who's already done it. And don't take the steroids, by the way. Not, not that they aren't going to work, because they will work. You just pay for it later on in life, all right? Just uh, work out and do that. The same is true with anything, really. You want to be a, tennis, a good tennis player? Find somebody who's better than you. You can go out and whip somebody if you want to, but if you're playing someone better than you, then it's going to elevate your game. You'll become better. Same is true with Christ. Find someone to fellowship with who loves Jesus as much as you do, maybe more. Find someone who's doing it. Find somebody who's effective in the ministry and make a relationship with them. Find somebody that Christ brings into your life that your hands can be strengthened and that you guys can run together and spur one another on to godly works. Then you can say, come on, get back in the race. What are you doing? I have friends like that. Pat Lazovich is a friend of mine. He's the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Sierra Vista. I was at a conference with him last week. In fact, I was there with Eric Souza and Pat Lazovich. You know Eric, right? He used to be on staff here and he now has a Calvary in, um, in Jacksonville, Florida. So me and Eric, I have a tendency to copy people, kind of like, and so there was a guy speaking at the conference and he has certain phrases that he uses, certain ways that he teaches. We all do, by the way, I do that. One of the things that I do is I'll throw my shoulder around. One time my youngest son said to me, what is this, dad? You do it like a hundred times every message. Hey, open up your Bibles with me too. That, that, so, you know. That's the kind of thing that I was doing, but I wasn't doing it about myself. I was doing it about somebody else. And me and Eric kind of feed off of each other. And so once I started mimicking this guy, Eric started mimicking him, and then we were going to town. And we're driving down the road, and Pat's in the passenger seat, and Eric's in the back, and I'm looking at Eric, and we're doing our thing. And Pat finally goes, shut up. Got to understand, he's Serbian. He's got that, that uh, Shrek thing going on. Shut up. Get out of my swamp. He says, why are you mocking this guy? And I go, oh, no, I'm not mocking him. It's respectful. <laughs> I'm making fun of him respectfully. It's not mocking. But then as we realize that we are kind of making fun of this guy, we need people who can call us to account when things get a little weird. Now, that's kind of a light idea of that, but we need that people who will spur us on to good works. Now, the second thing it says here is, and make straight the paths of your feet so that that which is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. You're gonna win a race. You're gonna run in a straight line. If you got a guy whose hands have fallen down, his knees are wobbly, and now he's all over the track. He's running and he's wobbling back and forth. You know that guy isn't gonna win. The guy that's going to win is the guy that's still got his eyes set on the prize. He's still watching the sideline and he's running as straight as he possibly can. Some of us, we're just wobbly. Some of us, we're over here for this and we're over here for that. We've gotten caught up in this and we've gotten caught up in that. Maybe it's sin, maybe it's not, but we're just not running an efficient race. We're not having a straight line. I love the proverb that says, put your eyes straight in front of you. Don't look to the left and don't look to the right, but look straight ahead. Hey, put your eyes on Jesus. Understand the call, the cause, the importance of what we do and run a straight race. 
And if you've gotten involved in something else, whether it's sinful or whether it's just something that is, is slowing you down, then lay those weights aside that you can run swiftly. And then he says in verse 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Peace with all people and holiness to God without which no one will see the Lord. He's not just saying that you won't see God. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say pursue peace with everybody and holiness with which you won't see the Lord. It says pursue peace and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, follow this folks. If you don't have peace with the people in your life and things right with God, because holiness isn't about you being holy, it's about the righteousness of Christ that is given to you and then you being sanctified and set apart by him. The holiness becomes practical in our lives, but first of all, it is positional with Christ. And so you make things right with people, the peace with all men and holiness with God, and then people see your life and see God in you. Because without peace with everyone and without holiness with God, people aren't gonna see Christ in your life. Your life won't reflect them. Make things right with God. If you're not right with him today, if there's some sin in your life, if you've got some unconfessed, unrepented sin, you've settled into to a drunkenness or you've settled into some lust or some pornography or some relationship that is ungodly, that is inappropriate, and you've settled into that and you know it's wrong and maybe it's something else that I haven't even listed, but you know it and it's keeping you from God. At this moment, all you need to do is pray sincerely. God, forgive me. I am sorry. Not just going through the motions, but meaning it. And God will forgive you now. You will be holy now. Isn't that great? I don't got to go out and do, you know, five or six weeks of good works in order to be holy. I can be holy the moment I ask him to forgive me. And you know what I find out? When I know positionally that I'm holy, it helps me to walk holy. If I go out in an old pair of boots, work boots and jeans, I don't care too much about walking through mud puddles. But if I've got good clothes on, then I care about it. Spiritually, we're like that. We put on our waffle stoppers and beans, uh, and beans, and jeans, our waffle stoppers and jeans. I don't know what putting on your beans is all about, but I don't want to know. All right, that's an old 70s word anyway. So our work boots and our jeans, and we go out spiritually, we're just kind of dirty. We haven't had righteousness with him. We don't have things right with him. And people in the world aren't drawn to Christ. But if there's holiness in your life and you're at peace with all men, if there's people that you're angry at or bitter or envious or have malice towards, take care of it. Don't be that person that has anger towards other people, but be at peace with all people as much as it concerns you and holiness to God, because without it, no one is gonna see God. We're not gonna do the work God's called us to do if we don't have peace with all men and holiness with God. And then he says in verse 15, looking carefully. That phrase there, looking carefully, is one Greek word. The Greek word means take stock, consider your life, looking carefully. In other words, back away from your life and consider whether or not you have holiness with God and peace with all men, whether you're wobbling all around the track instead of running a straight line, whether your hands are hanging down and your knees are wobbly. Stand back and consider, because if you don't, there are three things that could happen to you. And he says, lest, there are three things that start with lest. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. That's the first. Number two, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many are defiled. And the third lest is 16, 
lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Three things he says you need to avoid. Stand back, look carefully, take stock, consider your life, lest you fall short of the grace of God. Now this verse has caused a lot of people trouble because they read the grace of God differently than what it really is. What is grace? It's undeserved favor. When you give grace to your children, when you give them something they don't deserve, that's grace. And God gives us his grace. God is a God of grace. And we are under God's grace. Chuck Smith used to put it this way. We're under the spout where the glory comes out. We're in a position where our life is right. We don't have unconfessed, unrepented sin in our lives. And, we're, and God's grace is being poured upon us. But if we're going out and getting drunk, or if we've got a relationship with someone sexually that's inappropriate, or we've got uh, just some kind of sinful life, or we're just living a secular life, we don't care about spiritual things, we come short of God's grace, God's favor. You can live your life daily in the favor of God, God's grace being poured upon you. Or if you live your life for yourself and for secular means, then you find yourself out of that grace, lest you fall short of the grace of God. And I want God's grace in my life. The thing about God's grace being poured out upon you is that it not only falls upon you, but it flows out of you and into the lives of other people that are around you. Stand back, look carefully, lest you fall short of the grace of God. Now, there's people who convolute this passage and try to make it say something else because they say, how can you fall short of the grace of God? God gives his grace and you can't fall short of it. You can fall short of God's grace. If it weren't possible, the Bible wouldn't say it. And there are other places where it says you can nullify the grace of God. How can you nullify the grace of God? By being involved in things you shouldn't be involved in. You step out of the grace of God and you grieve the Holy Spirit, right? And so then it goes on. The second is to say, lest you come short of the grace of God, unless there be any root of bitterness springing up, causing trouble, and by this many be defiled. A root of bitterness is when you refuse to forgive someone for offending you. And there are real offenses. Statistics say that 20% of women have been molested by someone in their family. Those are high statistics, by the way. So there's very real offenses. Maybe your husband, your ex-husband was unfaithful to you. It's a very real offense. One day I was talking about forgiveness and the importance of forgiving someone no matter what they have done because you have to let them go. And we'll talk more about that here in a moment. But I was talking about that in a message, the importance of forgiving and letting them go. And afterwards, a gal came up to me and she said, I am not gonna remarry my ex-husband no matter how much you say I need to. <laughs> Did I say that? I didn't say that. But she read me saying, you have to forgive him that she had to restore the relationship, the marriage. Listen, forgiveness and restoration are two different issues. If you have a father who molested you and you forgive him, it doesn't mean you got to invite him over for Thanksgiving so he has family with your grandkids. He has proven himself to be untrustworthy and you don't have to restore that relationship and put your kids in danger. You can keep him at arm's length, but you can still forgive him. Remember, Jesus told the parable about the man that was forgiven a great debt and he went out and found a guy that owed him 50 bucks and he grabbed him by the neck. The Bible doesn't say he grabbed him by the shoulders. It doesn't say he grabbed him by the robe. Jesus said he grabbed him by the neck and said, you pay me every penny you owe me. What happens when you don't forgive someone is you grab them by the neck. In essence, you're saying to that person who offended you, 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 you hurt me and you owe me and I'm gonna make you pay. What does it take to forgive him? What did this guy have to do to forgive him? Let go of his neck. Just let go. 
You're, you're, you have a father who did something that was incredibly inappropriate, forgive him. You let it go. It doesn't mean that it was okay. It doesn't mean that you were at fault in any way, shape, or form if you let it go. It simply means that you're not going to allow that root of bitterness to be within you. You have an ex-husband who did some awful things. You say, I can never forgive him for what he did. Let it go. Let him go. Say to God, maybe not to him, maybe so, but maybe not. Pray about it, but say to God, you know what, Lord, I let him go. I'm going to tell you guys, if you can really say that, there's going to be a weight that is lifted off of you that is unbelievable. If you can say to God, they don't owe me anything, Lord, I let them go. Because a root of bitterness taints every relationship in your life. It's like wearing a pair of rose-colored glasses. You put it on and everything's rosy, right? Well, when you put on bitterness, everything's affected by it. Your husband comes home and says, hi, honey, what's for dinner? What's for dinner? What do you mean? Later on, you go, where did that come from? Uh, bitterness, probably, root of bitterness. You come unglued on your kids and later on say, why did I come unglued on my kids? Because a root of bitterness causes trouble. That's what it does. And when you hold someone by the neck, you think you're making them suffer, but you're not. You're the one that's suffering from that. So you need to stand back and consider lest there be a root of bitterness that causes trouble and defiles many. There's one more less that we find here, and that's in verse 16. Lest there be a fornicator or profane person like Esau who for a morsel of food sold his birthright. Profane. We know what a fornicator is, right? Someone that has sex outside of marriage. Profane. Esau was profane. When I think of profane, I have a couple individuals that I know. There, there's one golf course that I'll go to in the morning sometimes. I'm sorry to tell you guys that I do golf and I don't really talk about it much, but I do. There's one golf course that I go to early in the morning and there's one member that's there. This guy is the most profane person that I know. Everything that comes out of his mouth is cussing. Everything. He's the kind of guy, I'm walking over to the practice facility the other day. He drives by in a golf cart and he flips off one of his friends. And his friend goes, ha, 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 ha. and he goes, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> that's really funny. Now he knows I'm a pastor and he said something the other day. He's a real crass. And then he said, oh, sorry, pastor. And I said, it's okay. I didn't get any on me. You know, it's not like, ooh, ooh, you get on me. I can't believe you said such a thing. But when I think of a profane person, that's who I think of. He can't say anything without saying something crude. It's just the way he is, okay? Now, but that's not what the word profane means. You might know someone like that and you might think they're profane. You know what the word profane here means in the Greek? Worldly or secular. All it means is it's someone that doesn't care about spiritual things. It's someone that cares about his body drives. It's someone that cares about his world. It's somebody who cares about rest and, and somebody who cares about worldly things but doesn't care about spiritual things. And see, the example is perfect because Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. The birthright was spiritual, but he didn't care about spiritual things. So he came in from the field one day and his brother was cooking some soup and he said, I'm so hungry, I'm gonna die. Give me some of that soup. His body drive for hunger was so strong that he didn't care about spiritual things at all. And so, so Jacob said, well, sell me your birthright. I'll give you some soup. And he said, what good is my birthright if I die? Give me that soup. And he, so he sold it for a bowl of soup. Are there some spiritual things in your life that you're selling for an experience? For some, for some physical feeling? For some worldly pleasure? For something that may not even be sin, but it's just secular? It's just secular. You know what the term secular means? It's, it's, it's living apart from God. A secular person is living apart from God. When we say that something is secular, we mean that it has no spiritual significance at all. 
You might not be living a bad life. It might not be an awful life, but you're like Esau. You're living more for what you can get and what you can gain than for spiritual things. And there is nothing more tragic than when a Christian does that. When a Christian lives as if the spiritual things don't matter. He's just living for his body drives. And then it says this about Esau, verse 17. For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit a blessing, he was rejected. He and he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. He wanted to, to, to have the birthright later on and he cried, but he wasn't gonna find repentance. It wasn't given to him. Why? Because he wanted the birthright because it was valuable, but he hadn't really repented and he wasn't gonna find repentance because the door of grace closes after a while. Now the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. You don't know how much longer you have. The father might be standing up right now and give the call to end it all. He might be telling Jesus right now, go get him. And you've got all kinds of things messed up in your life. Or worse yet, okay, that would be unfortunate if you have sin in your life and Jesus comes back for you. If you don't have everything right between you and God and Jesus comes back for you. But what if you were to die in that state? What if you're just away from him and you don't care about spiritual things and your appointment comes up? See, because the Bible says this, it is appointed once for man to die and then comes judgment. You have an appointment with God. I have an appointment with God. There is a day that God has set as an appointment for me for me to die. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel. Some of you guys might say, I wanna call heaven. <clears throat> God, can I change my appointment? I think it's coming up here and I would like to go 20, 30, 40 years into the future. But it doesn't work that way. There's an appointed time. You've been given so many days to live. You don't know when that is. And so the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. See, today God's reaching out his hand. Today God's speaking to you. Today God's got you here and he's talking to you. But in a year, that might not be the case. In a year, you might say, I really want to get it together, but God may no longer be drawing you. He may no longer be working in your heart. And so you might turn out like Esau, who sought his birthright with tears, but he wasn't able to gain it. It's a pretty hard place to be, isn't it? May we never get to that place, but be tenderhearted towards God. And anytime God says to us, strengthen those hands, bring those knees together, run a straight line. Let's get back in the race because there's people's lives that hang in the balance. And we living our lives holy, living our lives at peace with all men, give men an opportunity to see God. Stand up with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for this text. We, we really have been encouraged in our race. And I want to pray specifically for those that are here that are feeling sluggish or feeling like dropping out of the race, that you would just touch their hearts. Lord, there are young men and women here that you have called and given a position and a purpose. You have a reason for their lives and you want them to be sold out for you with everything they have. And Lord, I pray that they would make that commitment today to give it all to you, to find out all that you want for them if they were to live for you with everything they have. And so Lord, we stand before you and say, Lord, we wanna strengthen our hands and our feeble knees. We wanna run the race that you have given us with endurance and run a straight line. Forgive us for wobbling around the track. We're pulling it together by the grace of God and by the work of the spirit. We wanna be at peace with all men and have holiness with you so that people around us can see Christ so we can know you and see you by the holiness that we've achieved through the cross. 
not by any work of our own, but by the cross that that price was paid. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.